to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. Emergencies usually strike without warning. We're surprised when the stock market crashes or power goes out. Certainly, with earthquakes, there's no warning. These things happen. And when it's breaking news, it's too late to prepare. Now you're scrambling and panicked best thing to do is prepare for natural disasters or emergency situations while things are still calm. So ask yourself right now, could you feed yourself or your family for two weeks with the food you have at home at this moment? If not, it's time to act and secure an emergency food supply. I use my Patriot Supply. And you should, too. A two-week food kit will get you started. This week, it's on sale for only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. These food kits include meals that last up to 25 years in storage. So order now and prepare yourself so there are no surprises. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. Forget about it. If you can't remember the phone number, 888-441-7290, and you can't remember preparewithsouthernsense.com, you know the name of the show. It's Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle. 
southern-sense.com and click on My Patriot Supply. So check it out. All right, and welcome back to another adventure. You're here listening to Southern Sense Talk Radio live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, up on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Facebook, and I heard Newsmax bragging about the fact they are finally up on iHeartRadio. Well, listen, Newsmax, I beat you by a year. I also have been up on iHeartRadio, so check us out. You can get it for free at iHeartRadio. You are listening to the hostess with the least mostest today, the Radio Ticket D, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, who just dropped out of the studio. Thank you, uh, Skype, for dropping my co-host, but he'll call back in. We've got a lot to talk about. want to welcome everyone that's listening over here on Blog Talk Radio. We have it up on Facebook as well as up live on YouTube, so feel free to join us. If you don't know how to get to the site on Facebook or YouTube, just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, Southern hyphen sense dot com and my co-host who got lost is back again curtis good afternoon yeah you, just, you jinxed us you jinxed us you said that told that nothing goes wrong i don't know it's just like the curtains close <laughs> yeah i'm back well you said the magic words i hope nothing goes wrong so what happens yeah. before well, we even get that's started it. that should be it though Oh, man, the world gets crazier and crazier the more we get into this Biden administration with Queen Gamala Mella. Uh, but we've got some great guests that's going to talk about everything that's going on. Uh, longtime friend of the show, and I haven't had him on in a while. That's my fault. Uh, T.L. Davis. He is happens to be a scriptwriter as well as a blogger and a novelist. Uh, he's also a filmmaker. His film came out uh, just a couple of years ago called Lies of Omission, which you can find at 12 Round Productions, uh, which is 12round.com. He's going to join us at the beginning of the uh, show. And then we have our other friend, Thomas Williamson. He also is an author, and he has an intelligence background. His books are really good because my husband saw it sitting there on my little table with my notes, and my husband is an avid reader. And he picked it up and he started to thumb through it. And he's lucky he put it back down because he said, this is one of the books I can sit. It is so interesting. I can sit and read the whole book in one sitting. And I says, not until I finish the interview tomorrow. Then you can read the book. <laughs> That's how good wow. he is. He has a series of books, three of them called, they're the Y series. Um, so uh, you can find it on uh, thomas-williamson.com. And then a guy who's been on the political scene uh, forever, well, he's not that old, he's about my age, Michael Johns. A lot of people know him as one of the co-founders of the National Tea Party. He's a former White House speech, uh, speech writer for the first Bush, and he did a lot of extensive work with the Heritage Foundation as a policy analyst, and he's a healthcare executive. So there's a lot of things to talk about with him. And this week, Heritage is sending us someone different, Dustin Carmack. He's one of Heritage's top research fellows in technology. Uh, can we say um, – what's the name that uh, Dark – whatever, that took down the pipeline here on the eastern seaboard? Uh, I forget what the name of that hacking – group is, but he's a specialist in this area, so we're mm. going to be talking about technology and how it affects our ability to get the conservative message out. 
So once again, big shout out to our friends here on the Blog Talk Radio chat room, as well as up on Facebook and YouTube Live. <sighs> now I'm out of breath. <laughs> I hear. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, before um, we went live, Curtis and I were talking uh, behind the scenes, and Curtis mentioned um, Facebook mandate, not Facebook, uh, face mask mandates that finally, thank God, they're they're dropping off. Well, Newsmax last night was talking about the face mask mandates and how a lot of these kids in elementary school uh, where parents don't want them to wear the mask because they either have autism or some other issue where, you know, these kids can't really breathe behind them. And you're going to send them out to the playground so they can go running around and they can't get enough oxygen. And kids, as they develop, need to be able to see facial expressions so they can learn to read emotions and moods and develop mentally and physically uh, as a child into an adult. And having these face masks hinders these children's development so so much. And there's also parents that object to these face masks based upon their religious faith. And a lot of people can quote passages of the Bible where people are told to drop their veils, to let people see who they are. And it could be figuratively or it could be physically. And... I mean, I'm, I'm seeing parent after parent coming before school boards or speaking out in editorials or you know, demanding that the child not wear a face mask. And some of these parents have been on Newsmax and other stations talking about this. And um, this one woman, bless her heart, she has to have one heck of a sense of humor uh, because they were talking as a parent to her about these drag queens that they're bringing out to the public libraries. And that's something else, too. That's something that... <laughs> hit very, very close to home uh, just this past week in my local public library. So they had this picture of this woman. Well, I'm, I really can't say it's a woman. Um, I don't even know what the correct pronoun is for this uh, individual. I think that's a politically correct description at this moment. Um, in this outrageous costume and makeup, and she or it has a video aimed at children from the age of 3 to 12, showing them how to dance like a drag queen. You've got to be kidding me. You're going to teach a three-year-old, you're going to teach a prepubescent child how to sexualize their dance like a drag queen. And when they were talking to this mother, they played the clip, and the mother really quickly quipped, she goes, there's only one mask in this house that anyone's allowed to wear. And she reaches over and she pulls out this horror clown mask. And the makeup on the clown mask looks so much like this drag queen. My mom oh, almost God. fell out of my Archie Bunker chair. She and I were laughing. I thought she was going to pee in her pants on my chair. Mom, I know you're going to turn 89 real soon, but you're not allowed to pee in your pants. <laughs> I swear, she put this mask on, and she says, this is the only mask my son's allowed to wear. So he turns around, he takes it and puts it on. It was just too comical. you got to find the well, humor in situations like this, though. Yeah, uh, and another humor, humor, humorous thing to me is the fact that the governor here, Ron DeSantis, has uh, pretty much lifted the moratorium um, of people 
you know, like workers, too, who were, you know, mandated to wear the masks and stuff. So there's a lot of um, waitresses and waiters and, and other people in the service field who are not wearing the mask now. But it's amazing how some still are wearing it. And I'm talking about young people, you know, between the ages of 25 and 45. They, they've been so frightened that um, mm-hmm. they're not comfortable with, you know, this mandate being over with here. You know, they still hold I mean, them on. And, and, of course, they, their leaders in the Democrat community are still pushing wearing a mask. It's an individual choice. Government has no business telling me what I can or cannot wear unless, well, there, there's an exception to, you know, public decency. You know, I'm not going to walk around with absolutely no clothes on. Come on, you've got to be realistic. You know, well, but you don't tell this. me exactly what to wear. You don't tell me that I have to always wear the color blue. That's the same thing with think wearing a face this. mask. Go ahead. Yeah, think about this. Now, we function as individuals on the right. On the left, they function as um, as groups. Mm-hmm. So when left when left with the choice of not wearing a mask as an individual, they're lost. They're looking for mm-hmm. okay, what can we do as a group? <laughs> you see, they have their mindset is not about freedom, a choice as an individual. Is you know we go with the group or what the group is told. No, it's, so it's I, group that's where thing. I see it. It's group think versus independent thought. And right. we as conservatives naturally want government not in our lives. We want to make right. a self-determination. But there are individuals right. that are incapable. They need their daily routine to be exactly what it is. They need to have a certain route that they always go uh, certain things have to be said and done in a specific manner. They are incapable as, as when group. it comes down to to independently think. And that's the whole thing. That's why the Nancy Pelosi's, the Schmuck, I mean Chuck Schumer's, are get away with what they get away with. That's why the squad with AOC and Ilion, uh, whatever, all those, those clowns, they're able to control the thought. You know, it's climate change. The world is going to be doomed in 10 years. Don't you know that? Well, we're about six years into that 10-year cycle, and we're still here. The world hasn't ended yet. Um, but it, it's the inability. That's why you have movements like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, and these people go out there protesting with them against Israel and for Palestine because it's the group think thought. This is the flavor of the month, so everyone fall in lockstep. This is how Hitler was able to control Germany. Everyone must think and act in the same way. If you don't, we're coming after you. It's the cancel culture. For them, there's no in-between. So to them, we are the enemy, and that is exactly how they're treating us. That's so true. We're the enemy, and we have to be stamped out. Absolutely. We are not relevant. Nope, nope. We, We... Rock the boat, so therefore we're bad. Anyway, um, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a tribute to a fallen hero. And uh, this hero, a lot of you may have seen um, his execution recently up on the news channels, uh, a New Mexican uh, state trooper that was executed by a criminal. Uh, So that officer is 
New Mexico State Patrolman Darian Jarrett. His end of watch was Thursday, February 4th of this year. And this is from his legacy obituary, also from CNN, uh, also from Fox News and Rudio's News, uh, Rudio uh, from Bill Armadera's. And it starts off out of Deming, New Mexico. Senior Patrolman Darian Ray Jarrett, 28, died in the line of duty on February 4th, 2021. His funeral mass was held at the Lordsburg High School football field with Father Jude Okonkwa, the pastor of St. Joseph Catholic Church, officiating. This was to be a private event open to immediate family and the New Mexico State Police. COVID-19 restrictions were in place with masks required and social distancing enforced. His interment was at a Shakespeare Cemetery with honors presented by the New Mexico State Police Honor Guard. Services were live streamed. From Andy Rose and Travis Caldwell from CNN. The fatal shooting of a New Mexico State Police officer led to a high-speed chase that ended in a shootout with a suspect. Uh, State Police Officer Darren Jarrett was killed on Interstate 10 near the town of Achaia in Luna County, about 70 miles northwest of El Paso, Texas. Jarrett, 28, initiated a traffic stop of a white pickup truck while assisting Homeland Security investigators, according to the NMSP chief, Robert Thornton. The driver of the truck, identified by police as Omar Felix Cueva, 39, shot and killed Jarrett before heading east on the interstate toward Las Cruces. Police said they intercepted Cueva approximately 15 miles from the fatal shooting, where Cueva pulled over and fired at the responding officers. Gunfire was exchanged before Cueva fled again. Law enforcement from multiple departments gave chase. Thornton said, including officers from the NMSP, U.S. Border Patrol, Donna Anna County Sheriff's Office, and Las Cruces Police Department. As Cueva entered Las Cruces, police deployed spike strips to damage the truck's tires. According to Thornton, a Las Cruces officer also executed a pursuit intervention technique to force the truck sideways. Las Cruces police spokesman Dan Trejero confirmed the authenticity of amateur video posted online by Austin Contreras, who was working on a construction site roughly 40 miles from the shooting of Jared. The video showed a Las Cruces police cruiser shoving the truck off the road. After the truck slides to a halt, Cueva is seen emerging from the vehicle and pointing a firearm at police amid sounds of gunfire. One officer is seen crouching behind the police vehicle closest to the truck. The gunfire continues until police approach the truck as Cueva appears motionless next to the vehicle. Police confirm that Cueva was shot at least once and died on the scene. Following Garrett's death, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lugang Grisham ordered all flags at state buildings lowered to half-staff. Jarrett, 
who joined the state police in 2015 after previously working as a state transportation inspector and local law enforcement officer, was from the small community of Lordsburg and was stationed in Deming. Thornton said the officer had a reputation of always having a smile on his face. Even when there was a situation that was tough, the guy was always smiling. Family members and the New Mexico State Police held a press conference in honor of the fallen New Mexico State Police officer, Darian Jarrett, who was shot and killed during a traffic stop on Interstate 10 near Akela Flats, east of Deming. The suspect in the shooting, Omar Felix Cueva, was later shot and killed by law enforcement officers in Las Cruces following a pursuit by multiple law enforcement agencies. The press conference was held to offer condolences and support for the family of Darian Jarrett. At the District 12 headquarters at 3000 East Pine Street in Deming, Gabriella Jarrett, who shares two sons with the deceased, spoke to media and the public in attendance. She identified Darren as an amazing man, son, uncle, father, and police officer. Quote, he was passionate about two things in his life, she read from a prepared statement. First and foremost was being a father. He was so proud of his creations. He showed them off to anyone who was willing to look, to posting artwork in his unit and taking pictures of them to post on social media and to share with family. He told me his favorite thing was when he came home from work and would open the door and have his kids run to his legs and give hugs after a long day. Gabriella spoke of how unfortunate it is to know that Darren's relief after a long day will not be shared by his children. She's reminding them that he is not gone and will always be in their hearts. He will look after them, protect them, and love them in ways they cannot see. But I know they will feel, she said. Gabriella said his second passion was protecting and serving as a New Mexico State Police officer. He wore his badge proudly and faced every shift with his head held high and his cheesy grin, Gabriella noted. He made sure his boots were shined, his guns were cleaned, his brass was polished, and his uniform was starched to the point where it could stand up on its own, Gabriella said. He was proud of his job. Darian knew what he faced every day. Every time he put on that vest and buckled up that belt, and it never stopped him from doing what he loved. Unfortunately, Darian can no longer do the things he loved because our hero has fallen. Yes, I said hero because that's what Darian is. He is and forever will be a hero to his children and he has proven to be a hero to his community by putting his life on the line every day to protect and serve just like his brothers in arms, she said. Gabriella expressed a deep appreciation for the love given by the community, state, and nation to Darian's family and children. We have all lost someone special and close to our hearts, and I am so proud to see the amazing impact he has left on this earth, she said. 
Darian's legacy will forever live live on in his four children, who are reminded of their daddy and the great man he was. We love you, Darren, 3000. Thank you, she said. New Mexico State Police Officer David Tarangello, uncle to Darren, spoke of the family's legacy in the agency. Darren's mother retired as the New Mexico State Police District 12 Administrator in Lordsburg. He also spoke about Darian's childhood. Darian was born in Silver City to John and Glorian Jarrett. He was raised in Lordsburg and graduated from Lordsburg High School in 2010, where he was a team member of the Mavericks' first ever state football championship team. He was a curious and smart child, he said. He loved football and competed at the PAL Police Athletic League since he was the age of eight. He was very proud of being a part of the town's first state football championship. Darren graduated from Western New Mexico University in Silver City and earned a bachelor's degree in administration of justice. He loved hunting, but most of all, he loved his job. Darian was raised in a family with strong ties to New Mexico and the Department of Public New Mexico State Police. Tarian just said his sister currently works in Lordsburg as a transportation inspector for the Department of Public Safety, New Mexico State Police. He said family members remember Darian as a happy and outgoing person regardless of what life threw at him. He was always smiling and loved with all his heart. Most of all, he loved his children, he said. New Mexico State Police Chief Robert Thornton closed the press conference by asking media and the public to respect the privacy of Darian Jarrett's family during this time of grieving. Today is about the family to tell us about Darian, Thornton said. This isn't about us. It's about the man, the brother and the father he was. The death of a New Mexico State Police Officer Darian Jarrett is a, tra- is a tragedy. We thank you for the love and support you have shown our agency and the family of Officer Jared. As I stand here today, every single state police officer is honoring Jared today by putting on that uniform and going out into the communities to protect our families and our loved ones. I want to thank each one of those officers for bravely and selflessly continuing to wear the badge and protect the people in this state despite your grief. To their families, thank you for letting our loved ones walk out the door every shift, not knowing if they will come home. You all have my sincerest respect and appreciation, Chief Thornton added in the closing of the press conference. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Darian Jarrett. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that we never will forget that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our marvelous future. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herendon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends Right, we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, and don't forget, yes, we have been up on iHeart all this time. So check us out. Of course, I am your hostess with the most just the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis 
C.S. Bennett. And we have ourselves a rock and roll lined up show today. So, Curtis, let's bring our first guest like in, our, our first victim of the day. <laughs> let's <laughs> Now he knows he's in for it, <laughs> but welcome right. on to the show. Uh, uh, oh, good Lord. I'm just having a brain fart. I can't believe I just did that. T.L. Davis, good afternoon, T.L. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, thank you for having me on. Oh, it is our pleasure. Hey. You know, um, you are a man about town. You're a writer, you're a blogger, you're a screenwriter, you're a freelance, you're a novelist, you're a filmmaker. Uh, you have one in production currently, but recently you produced Lies of Omission through your production company, uh, 12 Round Productions. And I rewatched it last night, and I'm surprised. I, you know, it hit me that a lot of these people that you interviewed over the years, many of them have been guests on this show. And as they were talking, how much of what was said in that film stands so true and magnified today under this political atmosphere that we're living in? It is it is crazy how how predictive you were in that in that movie. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, didn't appreciate it when it first came out because you know they it, it seemed like it was. Um, you know, for people who are turned on, they they got it and and they helped support it and 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 made it what it was. But for a lot of people, it was uh, you know almost conspiracy theory stuff. You know, weird stuff like Seth Rich that now we actually get documentation from the FBI that yeah that that happened and and um, uh, a number of different things that they brought up and um, it's. To me, we look kind of nutty when we put it out, but I had a lot of faith in the people who were in the film. Um, you know, Mike Vanderbilt for one, and and uh, Matt Brack, and obviously, and Claire Wolf had established herself. We had um, David Codria, who worked with Mike Vanderbilt to break the Fast and Furious uh, scandal, and um, um, uh, Kit Perez was, you know, pretty pretty in tune on where we were going because she got turned herself. She got red-pilled herself. So, um, actually, she got red-pilled when she was protesting for the other side. <laughs> but um, I believed in who they were and what they had to say, and I knew I knew what they, you know, where we were where we were headed if we didn't stop it and you can see that we didn't stop it because uh here we are and you watch it today and i've had a number of people come back to me and say well yeah that that red pilled me i really didn't think much about it and um so yeah they yeah it was a it was a great project um we had um, it, it took a while to do. It took place over the election, so half the people didn't even know what the outcome was going to be. They were looking down the throat of a Hillary Clinton presidency, and, and that was the urgency at the time. So, yeah, uh, it was really predictive. Prophetic is the way I term it most of the time um, now because you can see everything, all of the all of the, the predictions coming true. Now, uh, you had someone in there named Sammy Lee Davis, and I am assuming that is your daughter, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Actually, um, she was one of the reasons that we got involved in film because I was 
I had done a couple of small films, just little things that just got in my head and I had to get out. And uh, one of them was like the last water well. And, and um, it was the story of a guy going out of business because um, it's just not needed that much. And, um, and she was, she helped me to film that. And, and that sort of got her juices going and she finally went um, and got her communications degree and went to film school at Vanguard, which is a Christian university in uh, uh, Southern California in Orange County, you know, and um, so if she hadn't been there with her expertise, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have attempted it, but um that sort of got, you know, having to produce that film um, because I thought it was that important to put our resources in. And then we had a lot of support from the Patriot community to do it. And it was, I saw where it was important where she really didn't. And, and one of the things I wanted from her was to be a, a, a clueless millennial, basically, and ask the uh, in questions that would would come to them. And if you recall in the film, she asked a very prescient uh, question. Matt had <clears throat> listed off a number of scandals and uh, and supposed conspiracy theories, and she looks at him and she says, "Well, I've never heard of any of that." <laughs> and he just laughs. He said, "Of course you didn't. That's the problem." That's the lie of omission. Um, they lie to you by not telling you everything. And uh, so I mean, that was one of the things we wanted. But she she really, um, her expertise took took us quite a ways uh, with the film. So, you know, it, it, it's funny because, you know, as I'm as I'm doing this, as I'm watching the film last night, you know, so many things struck me because, you know, he brought up Fast and Furious and we on the show here were talking about Fast and Furious before Cheryl Atkinson because uh, we, we were getting wind of it and then she took off with her articles and then finally brought it to the national stage. But even then, we have never seen anyone prosecuted. Oh, no, no, I do have to correct that. There was a uh, gun shop owner that uh, cooperated with the ATF and ended up going to jail because he cooperated with the ATF. They made it look like he was part of the Fast and Furious gun running. And they really tricked him on that one. So, yeah, someone was prosecuted, but it was on the good guy's side, not the bad guys. And yeah, we still, still don't have any prosecutions. No arrests, nothing. Yeah, well, they set him up. I mean, they made him do it, and then they prosecuted him as a sacrificial lamb to get them out from under the heat, you know, what, what it's astonishing what our perceptions today of the FBI are, are compared to what they were, even when we filmed that, even knowing what they'd been involved in. I mean, going all the way back to Weaver, right? Um, yeah. Randy you know, Weaver, if you don't know who I'm talking about. But, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you did it. The audience <laughs> might not. Um, but, you know, you bring out that, you know, the the lie of omission, you know, the result of it is that the politicians and fake news have a purpose for it. And the purpose is to control us. If we don't have that information, we then can't make an informed decision on whether or not these politicians and the news are telling us the truth. So we rely on them. 
But boy, it, ever since Trump started calling them out to their faces, the veil is finally coming off. And I think that's maybe why your film is starting to become so poignant today more than it was when you made it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, I think you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I, I got to tell you the first person I saw uh, call out the, the, uh, the media for their uh, antics was uh, Breitbart. We happened to be at um, a tea party convention in Nashville and uh, I went in to, to watch him and, and and he got right in their face and they were back there and I turned around to look at them. They had all these cameras on and I'm looking at them and, and they're just getting red faced. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you need to do. You need to call them straight out. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it is funny because, um, Later on, we're going to have Michael Johns on. And uh, since I've been involved with the Tea Party since 2009, and I still have an active group that meets every month, um, I've been hearing now lately in some of the commentators on TV and some of the guests on the news shows saying, oh, and the Tea Party. And I'm hearing Tea Party being brought up again. I'm wondering if with film like yours and now people looking to see what happened with that organic movement of a tea party, if it will rise again. I mean, we've been fighting the fight now for 12 years and I've kept it active and going. So when I turn around to a politician, like our state Senate uh, uh, majority leader, they show up. I'm wondering if now that, 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 movement is going to come as a counter to Black Lives Matter, uh, to the hammer that no one knows about, that is now finally being brought out in the news, if that is going to go as a counter. I I hope, um, you know what, I think uh, in in a lot of ways the Tea Party splintered over a number of different things. Um, One of which was uh, I know in in Colorado, everybody, every every politician we put in and I'm living in Texas now, but uh, at the time in Colorado, I every politician we put in turned on us. It's what oh, yeah. Claire Wolf had to say in in the film. You know, one of the things she mentioned is why she she just turned off from it completely because there's no way to get what you want out of politics. Because you know, unless you have somebody like Lauren Boebert, who is now from Colorado, um, who primaried the the rhino they had in there. Um, you you get some real firebrands now, like like the Tea Party inspired, and and what I'm thinking is kind of along the same lines as you are, is the Tea Party sort of splintered out. But look, all of, all of the objectives and emotion and thoughts and, um, and are are just more obvious today than they were back then. It was like you know, even though it was a huge movement, I mean. One of the most amazing political movements in my lifetime was the Tea Party, you know? And yeah. it's like it never existed. It just, nobody wants to talk about it. Well, now you see why the Republicans didn't want to talk about it, you know, except to get no. elected. I mean, like, because I was on the same stage with Cory Gardner, um, given my spiel for, I have a little book called The Constitutionalist that I wrote to help the Tea Party sort of explain what's wrong with the country to people they were recruiting. Um, it never quite served that purpose, but that was the point of writing it. And um, I was with Cory Gardner, and 
And he was all tea party. He's an Eastern Colorado boy, you know, out in the sticks mm-hmm. where I'm from, where you have the, the short grass and the cattle and, and the oil wells, you know. And, and I mean, within 30 days, you know, maybe six months up there, he was totally useless. And and wound up being a senator who got who got ejected on this last one because people were just they didn't go for him. He just didn't have enough support on the Republican side to to sustain it. You know what I mean? It wasn't that that the uh, that uh, um, the Democrat was strong. It was that he was that weak. And, well, you know. There's, yeah. there's, there's a couple of things that went wrong with the Tea Party since I am in the heart of it. First off, they tried to nationalize us. They wanted us to go, you know, one blanket group speaks for everyone. That's not what a Tea Party patriot is about. We are individuals. And as we form our groups, what my group in my county may do may not have the same exact aim as the group in the next county. So we decided here in South Carolina that we had a loose coalition that we could exchange ideas and contact information. So if I got some guy here that wants to go up country and he wants to get in touch with the group, I can put you in touch with him. But we did not unite behind one leader. And that's that's the main thing why a lot of them lost the momentum and steam. Because these little small groups without the support of the others around there uh, just kind of like fade away. So I don't even know if there are any others left in my state. I may be the last man standing for as far as I know. Um, I know that some no. groups changed their name. They actually changed yeah. the name. They dropped the name Tea Party and they have Rock the Red or whatever they want to call it now. And again, they didn't have the same exact values of what the original Tea Party ideal was. The Constitution, taxation, smaller government. You stick with those main three things then you have a good, solid basis to stand on. And a lot of them didn't do that. They decided to get involved in other splintered issues. No, stay with the core values and just make it that point. So I think that's why. And then finally, the attack by the government, by the IRS. I mean, my friends, Joe Dugan, uh, Diane Hardy, and a couple others stood before Congress testifying about the harassment they got when they tried to become a 501c3. They used the government as a weapon against us. And luckily, we never became a 501c3 or anything. We stay as a loose group of associated friends. But I still keep it going strong. But you also have have to have a strong leadership for your group to survive. And a lot of these groups didn't have that. So, you know, I can see an attempt to reinvent them. But unless they stay with those core principles and they stand behind as a coalition instead of a one-size-fits-all national group, and there's others that just tried to speak for us. I don't know if you remember, there was a famous clip, uh, I believe it was um, uh, 2012, uh, up at, from Myrtle Beach. We were having our convention, and a guy supporting Rand Paul was standing there, and he's telling this room full of Tea Party pages, you have to, you must vote for Rand, Ron Paul. I stood up, and they never put the camera on me, and no one knew who said it. I shut it out. No one tells us how to vote. And the group broke out in a huge, huge roar. And that clip played on national TV over and over and over again. And that's the whole thing. You you have to have those core principles and just stick to them. Don't let people tell you what to do. That's my rant. Annie, Annie, can I add? (laughs) Yeah. Hi, T.L. This is the co-host. 
Yeah. Can I can I add that um, we also had to go up up against a political party that was was very skillful in defining who we were, as they did with the Republicans and conservatives. And I'm talking about the liberals, of course. They defined it, the Tea Party, as a racist organization, bigoted and everything else, um, this side of the sun. So um, we we had a lot of things that went against the Tea Party and, and, and their survival. But I think we need to remember that, you know, we have allowed, and I say us and we, I'm talking about our leadership, have allowed the left to define who we we are instead of them going out there and fighting back and telling them who we are and what we stand for. And I think that lack of leadership has hurt not only the Tea Party, but the Repu- you know Republican brand. That's all I want to say. Yeah, I agree with you 100, 100% on that. It, it, it was a lot of stuff, but a lot of, you know, man, you get involved in politics and you start seeing the way that things are co-opted, you know, and, and the Tea Party got, got co-opted. It's like, it's like Annie said, too, you know, they get co-opted by people who admit then Oh yeah, but we're not as racist as somebody else. And you're like, no. What are you saying? Are you out of your mind? Because I, you know, I was I wasn't actually involved in a Tea Party per se, but I was I was uh, speaking to a number of the groups, um, uh, and and I didn't when I decided to write the Constitutionalist, I didn't even know there was a Tea Party exactly. You know what I'm saying? Um, I discovered them and I'm like, Oh, that, that sounds like a good idea. Well, I don't have to do all the work then they're, they're picking up some of the load here. But, um, I think, I think there is always the temptation to, to like, like Annie said, to become a national organization. And then, and all that does is center power in a few people who can turn it any way they want. And I think, I think that's the right idea is to keep your own, group however large or small it is and 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 the problem is you you know respecting every voice you know it may not be your voice or you may not be speaking um to everybody and everybody's heart but if everybody if not every you know as long as there's a diversity of of, of opinion and thought um i think you can keep it alive i i i think there's kind of going to I hope that there is going to be somewhat of a renaissance on that where um, if there's enough people who include the Tea Party as part of their discussion, you know, keep that name out there. A lot of these younger people who my daughter is recognizing that a whole lot of younger people in her in her world are um, uh, being red pilled. Right. So if they look at that and they say, well, the Tea Party was the was – the, that was the first thing that I ever saw that was that centered around the Constitution, centered around um, uh, our rights, and, and, and went and, and did some of the really, really big things. And then, you know, it's like I try to talk to people about the Constitution. You know, you look at it. And none of it seems to work now. I mean, none of the O's <laughs> matter, you know. Um, 
and they say, well, well, you know, that's a failure of the Constitution. Well, not really. No, no words no. on any paper are going to stop evil. It's not yeah. a magic document. If if you lose, you have to think about what it secured. It secured rights of the people over the government, not not equal with, but over the government. And they just couldn't stand that, and, and they've been working to, to eliminate that for a long time. You have to look at it like a safe in which all of your liberties and rights are stored, right? Then you have all these safe crackers through 240 years come along trying to get into that safe and get those liberties and, and rights out of there, and that's what you have now. But it's always well, still know, there. The truth is still the truth, and those are truths that this is what leads to freedom. These are the freedoms you have to have. I'm working on a book about that right now. But um, Well, I, I equate the Constitution and the Declara- Declaration of Independence as the foundation of the building. And once you start to erode the foundation, that building will finally collapse upon itself. And this is what they have been doing. They've been chipping away at the foundation. They've been trying to flood it. They've been cracking it. And when you have a president of the United States says the Bill of Rights are not absolute, man, he just took a jackhammer to the the foundation. And you have blissful idiots who just nod their head and go, yeah, 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 he's right. And then we allow our Congress to pass laws and put into place things like the Patriot Act. That should have been torn down once we no longer needed it. But once we allow a regulation, once we allow a bureaucracy in place or a law enacted, you never get it off the books. So we end up with a bloated government. We end up with oppression by law. We end up with these regulation agencies that through a regulation – treat them as if they are in fact a law where people lose their fortunes, their liberties, because they violated a regulation of some obscure federal bureaucracy. And we have allowed this to happen and we need to start to find ways to take our nation back. And this is a lot of the things that you talk about in your book and also about foreseeing some sort of a, Matt Bracken addressed this uh, who's also been on the show, foreseeing a civil war. Uh, first, it's going to be with words, uh, and then hopefully it never gets to the point of violence, we hope. But then again, the left has already been using violence against me, us. And, 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 and trying desperately, desperately to get us to react violently, because that, that to them is the, the – um, you know the cherry on top of the Sunday there is if you get if you get patriots to respond uh, violently, then you can bring the hammer down on, on you know using the using the military to do it, and uh, you can see all these things just slowly getting put into place. You know the 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 uh, conservative purge of the military is so that you have no allies on that side, none that will honor their oath, but honor their oath to, you know, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or whoever's running, uh, Barack Obama, whoever's running the the show, right? That's who they want loyalty to, not the Constitution, not not, none of this patriotic stuff in our military because those are our hammers. So when you get to that point, um, 
it's it, you know you 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 can't you you necessarily have to react you know in, in a different way and hopefully you would like to I would like to think I, that peaceful way out of it. I mean, I know we certainly want to be as peaceful as we can. We have always been. We, you know, I mean, we've demonstrated that. I don't know how many million times that that we've restrained ourselves and not been not been violent. And we don't want to. That's that's absolutely not. But if if we're going to be attacked and attacked by these random groups of brown shirts, and um, ultimately our own military, well, you, you don't have any choice in that, in that position. Well, you know, you, you see gotta defend it, yourself. Yeah, absolutely. But you see the tactics that the left is using on us, the, the very same tactics, I'm going to say it, that Hitler used to finally gain control of Germany. You know, you start off on the edge and then you start to make people believe that what you're advocating is a good thing to advocate. And then you get yourself a military arm. And you use that military arm. Oh, it's going to be like the Boy Scouts. No big deal. So you, you get a hold of the kids. You, you indoctrinate them when they're young, which they are doing exactly. And then you tell them that, oh, yeah, um, the oath of office you took to uphold the Constitution and defend the nation from uh, enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, forget about the Constitution because I'm the one. I'm the guy at the top here, so I'm going to tell you what is good, what's right, and what's wrong. I'll let you know what part we're going to – You know, it's flexible. It's, it's a living yeah. document. We can change it. Uh, but then you know we've got – defending us from foreign and domestic. So we got domestic terrorists here. Who are those domestic terrorists? They're the veterans. They're the right voting, right left, uh, the right wing voting public, like the Tea Party. You know, uh, there's these people that love God and guns. Oh, they got guns? Oh, that still makes them a dangerous domestic terrorist. And then law-abiding citizens suddenly become the criminals because of government fiat. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And these are all things that you cover in, in the film. Um, it, it, they're replacing our lawful citizens also with a compliant population, the illegal aliens that they're dumping on us. And I was watching the news last night, um, and my mom's just shaking her head. It's like, you know, they're just taking these kids on planes and dumping them in the middle of Tennessee in the middle of the night. Are they crazy? I said, Mom, they already are following a plan that was already laid out a long time ago. Do you remember the refugee resettlement program, TL? The UN had? Yeah. And and yeah. they were dumping these these aliens in the middle of our nation. And we had no say about who they were or where they went. And suddenly small communities found these illegal aliens dumped on them. So now they have to get federal funds for housing, food, uh, clothing, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, Obama phones. And then you've got to educate them. And then you have to provide them with law enforcement protection because they're strangers. And you've got to protect them to make sure nothing happens to them. So the local community has to pick up the tab, too without the ability to handle this. And we saw it time and time and time again until states like ours, South Carolina, decided to sue the Obama administration to stop them from doing it. So they couldn't get them in through the U.N. resettlement 
So now what we're going to do is open the borders. All these poor people, they're out in the desert. They're dying in the desert, so we have to let them in. No, you turn them around and you yeah. send them back. But no, 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 no. You can't have – that's racist. You can't have a wall up there. But you can put a wall around the Capitol. That's fine. You keep the American <laughs> citizens out of our own capital and prevent us from having access, free access to our own government and elected officials. But we'll let domestic uh, enemy terrorists and criminal gangs and drug dealers and human trafficking and God knows whatever else across the border. No, no, that's fine. You know, that's, that's, as long as it's not a threat to Washington, D.C., the heck with the rest of the nation. <laughs> Are we going nuts? Yeah, yeah well. And with and with and with the wall, who you know, what, what could be a threat to them? <laughs> so they got a wall around themselves, and I guess the rest of the country can just, uh, um, well, I don't know how to say that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Go to hell. Pound sand, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. we're all secure, so y'all can pound sand. Just do whatever you do out there. It doesn't matter to us. Um, well, then it comes. Yeah, it's, to you. We, we've come. We've come a long now, way in a short period of time. Yeah. And also that's something else you address, especially in post-World War II. You know, we we had our military men and women come back after serving to fight for freedom overseas, only to fight, found out that they come home and they have no freedom. You know, there was a time right. where, you know, we had like happy days after we realized that, hey, listen, we've got to also defend ourselves and protect our, our own liberties and freedoms here. A perfect example is the uh, incident in uh, Memphis, uh, Tennessee. I believe it was 1947, where the veterans were finding that the sheriff took the box of votes and locked it up and wouldn't let anyone know <laughs> who yeah. the vote count yeah. was. until so the veterans armed themselves and stormed the sheriff's office to retrieve the votes and retrieve their ability to control their government. And I think that was a turning point of happy days. And now we lost them. We've lost it once right. again. Well, and, yeah, <laughs> and, and that was um, uh, part of the reason I um, I started working on, on the um, – the script that we've got that we're, we're getting organized on, on a film called not like that is to kind of point out the, the veteran side of, of when they come home. Cause a lot of times that gets sort of lost, but I always think about, I always think about the guys who went over to Afghanistan and Iraq and spent all that time over there trying to establish something decent. And they come back here and, and, everything that they supposedly were trying to secure for other people over there, they've lost here in the meantime, you know? So, I mean, I have to feel like, like, uh, uh, we may be stepping on another 1947, um, somewhere along the line. Oh yeah. Right, Cause now we're finding that, uh, all these blue states are finding out that, gee, maybe there was a problem with these voting machines like Pennsylvania. It seemed that every single ballot that was Republican was rejected and the Dominion machines and only the Democrat votes were being counted. Gee, I, they're starting to find these little quirks here and there. And you got to consider 
that by only 44,000 votes nationwide? Uh, do you think through some of these blue states like Pennsylvania, they may find a large portion of those 44? <laughs> you think? Yeah. I just, oh, man. It's amazing to me how silent everybody is on this. And then you start to wonder just how corrupt it is. And then then you know how corrupt it is. <laughs> well, you know, you, you work as a screenwriter, so you're seeing some of the craziness that's going on in, in our nation. And starting in Hollywood, some of the things they demand that you put out there uh, just goes against yeah, me, mainstream America. Yeah, let me talk about that for a minute, if you don't mind. Because, um, oh, my pleasure. something that's... It's something that's that's very disconcerting to me, not only just as a, a white male, which seems to be absolutely forbidden today um, in the film industry, because as a screenwriter, I'm seeing the request. What kind of films do they want to see? Um, if you have a script like this, send it to us. And um, I've even had uh, Shadow Soldier, which was uh, my first novel, that I turned into like a mini series and a pilot and I sent it out to them and I got some glowing responses for it from a number of producers. And, uh, but the big thing that came back and on the ones that were, cause not everybody does a Western and they sort of think it's a Western, which it is, but not, you know, it's kind of, it kind of bridges the gap of, of basically just, uh, um, a story of a, of a man and his son, not necessarily uh, a Western, even though it takes place in Texas and Mississippi. But um, but one of the big questions I got back was, well, this depicts slavery, and and um, that we're not we're not ha- we're not touching that. And I'm like, okay, that didn't happen, or well, what do you? What are you getting at? And it really didn't because it began at the end of the war. So that was already solved. Um, just you, when, you, when you know the history and then you get back um, responses like uh, history is being erased, changed, demolished. You can't talk about it. You can't. Um, you know, and it's just more and more of the same thing. They want this, you know, LGBTQ thing. And I don't have a problem with any of those films, but that's not the mainstream of America. I mean, this is what, in, in talking to a number of independent theater uh, uh, theaters and theater companies, that's not what sells in middle America is all of that. They don't want to get lectured, you know, for an hour and a half. They want to get entertained. And I have, uh, in not like that, um, it's a very diverse cast. And But it's not to be diverse because um, the American uh, veterans who come back and Christians are diverse. You know, so that's America. America is diverse it's the one of the most diverse if not the most diverse country in the world you know how can you tell an american story without without diversity i don't i don't really quite understand so but the forced the demanded diversity 
the the um, absolute rejection of anything else besides including all of these elements is dangerous and um, in the sense that uh, they're promoting something that is definitely promoted. It's not it's not just, hey, look, if you got a good story, you know, it can be about a white guy, it can be about, you know, a black guy, it can be about uh, you know, uh, uh um uh Arab, um, you know, Asian, whatever, because these are all elements in, in society. But you know I don't in seeing the wreck, the train wreck that's coming is, all they want to do is make films about a small percentage of the country and present that as the majority and then ask the majority to buy into that. And it's not that there's the diversity of films out there. It's that there won't be a diversity of films. There will only be this told all these different ways but only can you know involving these characters with this to say and this political attitude and anything else is going to be uh, uh, abolished so my attitude is okay well so what we need to do is like with uh, the film not like that what the idea of it is is it's a, a diverse cast because like i said america is diverse um but it's about middle American values, um, the things that go over good in these independent theaters all over the country are Christian, Western, veteran films. That's what they want to see. And um, But in order to do that, you also have to take the production out of Hollywood. Now, the danger that Hollywood's in, I, I don't think it's sustainable there. So the sooner, the quicker that we recognize that we need to, and it's happening, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm not the only proponent of this. Uh, we have a good Christian um, uh, studio, I mean, real studio, big studio, going in in Amarillo. It's already actually functional. We have uh, uh, Tyler Sheridan, who um, who wrote uh, Hell in High Water and Sicario, uh, he just bought a big ranch out here, the Four Sixes, and he's going to do filming out there, I guess. And so this is coming out from Hollywood because we want to tell stories. We just want to tell whatever creative story comes into our mind, and it, it can have any any cast that, that appropriate to the story. And we need to make films for Middle America in Middle America for Middle America not New York and LA. We don't we don't need to make films for them. They can make their own films. They've got big film <laughs> well, industries in both of those places. Well, a lot of the not places only that, the, you have to Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to just mention the cost to make films in those big studios in California compared to an indie like you or some of these studios right. now going into Texas and other states is a huge difference. And what you right. get back yeah. in the box office, and if you're not making money, then what's what's the point? Right, and and that's that's where they're going to run in. They're, that's their train wreck. Um, the salvation is this um, of the of the 
films that were made, the biggest indie film was The Marksman this year, right? It made about $20 million, but it cost $20 million. Okay, that doesn't fund another $20 million film. <laughs> it basically just gets you back your money, right? Um, film Infidel uh, with Jim Caviezel, that was done for about $4 million. Unfortunately, it only made about $4 million because it came out at the height of the COVID, right? So did The Marksman, by the way. That was part of its problem, too. My point is, if you're going to make money in this business, you're going to have to be $5 million or below. That can only be done by indies. You can't make a film like that out in Hollywood. It's going to cost you $20 million, no matter what you do, just because of the rules and 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 the cost of everything and Everything being there, they, they charge a premium for everything. I mean, you can't even stay in a hotel for anything, you know, for a decent amount of money. But you bring that out into middle America where the prices are lower and you're, you're doing films that don't require all of these other contracts, right? And, um, and you're making films that you know are going to make about, you know, five, six million dollars, but you're able to do them for, Two million or less, and not like that. I've got a budget of about five hundred thousand because it's just not, it's just not that, it's not that demanding. It doesn't need that many locations. We don't, we don't have any special effects. It's just a story, a good story about about the variety of Christians that are out there. I mean, you know, it have guys who are very devout. There's guys who are have lost their way. There's guys who don't even think about it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But and, but that's designed to, to sort of reach across the spectrum and, and show Christianity as as something that everybody, well, like a lot of people just do as part of their life. It's not, they're not a pastor. They don't run a church, which is what a lot of Christian films are. It's just people in their normally da- normal daily lives and how how Christ and um, faith guides them along the right path. You know, films like that I think are the ones that are going to are going to make money. And I really don't have much faith. In, a good example is Godzilla versus Kong is the biggest blockbuster this year, right? It only mm-hmm. made $85 million in America. It cost $200 million to make. Have they relied solely on, on a, a domestic market that had gotten killed? The fact that um, Godzilla and Kong um, uh, has an Asian reach made it profitable about $380 million. But, but, but a that's very also small a percentage huge... was a U.S. market. That's a very important point, the influence of China on Hollywood. That, because without that Asian market, that. they can now go to those studios and dictate, well, this doesn't look, this is look like it's anti-China. It's got to come out. You've got to do it this way. That, and so they can get their propaganda into our American films, thus changing exactly. the minds and thoughts of Americans. Exactly. And that's that's why... I just keep hammering on the idea that, you know, this is why we got into to feature films rather than documentaries is because we have to come at it. We have to get a broader, a 
approach. I mean, uh, Lies of Omission had a good audience, and I think it's killing a lot of people, but ultimately I'm only going to reach a certain amount of people. We need we need some films that reach out and, and, and have these pro-American, pro-veteran, pro-Christianity messages that everybody, A, everybody wants to hear, by the way, but specifically because it's homegrown, not influenced by those other forces. And yes, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of things that, that are coming down that cannot, cannot uh, insult the Chinese. And, and for all the reasons you said, you know, it's a matter of economics. We want that market. So you can't do this. Well, excuse me for being a freedom-loving individual, but I don't like anybody telling me what story I'm going to tell and how I'm going to tell it. <laughs> that's why. That's why a lot of my a lot of my books are are published are self-published because I don't need anybody else between me and the reader anymore. You know, I have a I've done traditional publishing and, and it's 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 horrific. Um, they don't offer anything. You don't get anything from being traditionally published except maybe you get to say that. You know what I'm saying? But but the the the, uh, the economies the the uh, I just don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to think or say or write. I want a personal relationship with my reader, and that's one reason I've always sort of stuck with um, independent uh, um, uh, publishing because and there's a longer story about Shadow Soldier and, and who talked to me about it, but the quality was never the issue. It was a matter of, of one thing or another that it had to say, right? So I gave up on it a long time ago because I'm not playing that game. You know, the the old the times when being a writer was some, and I mean, there are still a few that, that, that are able to handle it, but the time for when being a writer was something that was um, valued and, and um, uh, you know, where you were, you were, you were, you know, treated like with respect. somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had like Tom Clancy and they were making lots of money and they were doing all this stuff, you know, but for me, it's always been much more about, Hey, I'll, I'm not going to turn down any money. And don't get me wrong, but, but for me, it's always been about that relationship between myself and the reader, you know, and I'm willing to stand behind that. All my books have over four, uh, four stars, like four point something. Two six or whatever. And yeah, well, uh, I well, I have up on the on the show page the links to both Twelve Round, which is your production company, as well as your own personal site, which is your name tldavis.com. So people can click on that, and your stuff is also up available over on Amazon. I just want to plug that for you, and I've been putting it in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> so as people click on this in the archives, they can also click on your website and learn more about you. But um. I, there, there is something. Yeah, read the reviews. <laughs> if, if they go there, read the reviews. That'll tell you whether it's any good or not. <laughs> well, you also have anyway, a link. Go ahead. I'm uh, sorry. No, you also have a link to the best uh, family films, uh, Christian family films, uh, linked onto your website. Uh, it's the curricula and learning links for movies for education. And I was going through. Um, 
a lot of these and many of them that I remember uh, watching. Uh, I mean, oh, here, Anne of Green Gables. Here's here's a perfect example. The left is trying to make us think the way they do. And a friend of mine went to the library with her son and she went and she loves she homeschools her kid and she loves to teach them the classics. And she went to grab for Anne of Green Gables. Guess what? It was not on the shelf. The hospital, the the, the, uh, library removed all these classic books, all the ones that were Christian centered, patriotic books. They were gone. And she took pictures of the empty bookshelves. And then she looked up and there's on the wall, uh, I don't know if it's Woman's Month or what it is, but they had like uh, AOC's silhouette and they have Hillary Clinton up there. And some of these women up there, you just shake your head and go, what were they thinking? Are any of them up there are conservative? You know? Right. So, you know, she's right. going to be getting a hold of contact of the head of the library and find out what the heck is going on. And I told her, you'll have the, par- the power of the Tea Party behind you. You know, you get us the information and we have a crusade. <laughs> but this is what they've done right. to Hollywood. They've done the very same well, thing to Hollywood. Well, that's. Go ahead. I mean, look, a lot of the reasons they won't. They, they, a lot, here's all I got. Because I, I usually send a book out to see, you know, if. If I can get somebody else, you know, you get tired of doing everything yourself. So occasionally I'll send something out um, to to agents and the like. And you and I get back all the time, every time. It's never the story. It's never anything. They don't like the voice, okay? They don't want to hear from some white guy. And um, they don't want to hear from somebody who's pro-America. Who's pro capitalism? It's it it started a long, long time ago, and and that's what I'm trying to say is that I gave up on all that a while ago. I don't like I say I, I I'll still throw something out once in a while if I think it's kind of I would like some things I do I think are more important than other things, and I want them to get a wider audience, so I'll take a shot at it. But I know what I'm going to get back. But I don't want to hear from 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 this perspective because. They're focused on every, everything else. Um, and so what I'm really getting at is that we have been, we, we have been, we have been um, censored in so many ways for so long, it's almost invisible. But this is truly a battle. I mean, if we're going to still talk about what's great about America, what's great about Americans, um, then we, we have to start recognizing this is we need we we need to take the battle to the media as much as we do anything else um you recognize that with with your radio show you have to be involved in the battle or you're going to get run over what we're doing with all of our films and all of our books as much as they can control i mean you know i'm not a big fan of amazon but but by god it, it gives you a chance to put your put your your book out there and, and let the reader decide on whether it's any good or not. Um, that's not all decided. The subject matter is not decided in 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 uh, you know New York, where most of these big publishers are. There is not one big publishing company that that is conservative. Not one. Even even uh, um, uh, uh, what's the one? 
there's one that does all the bi- uh, fiction books, and and um, they're pretty conservative. They're the ones that do, you know, Hannity and all these guys. Regnery. That's what I was saying. Yes, re- yeah, they, they send me. Yeah, they send me a lot of guests here too. Um, but Tio, people yeah. can find you up on your website, which is your name, TL Davis, tldavis.com, and also at 12round.com. And you have a link to fundraiser where people can help you on your new project because uh, it's only been up for just a couple of weeks, so people have a time to help you get this film made. Right, yeah, we're, we're just trying to get it, it, it uh, raise some funds for it. A lot of that has to do with approaching the distributor later, you know, if you do some crowdfunding and, and you do a good portion of it through crowdfunding, then distributors uh, really like to see that because it's got a built-in audience. Um, yeah. But it also helps us cover some of the, le- the legal costs. of. of you have to have a new LLC for every film, and so you got to put <laughs> that together and all that. It's kind of a mess, but... Um, <laughs> But those funds are going to help us get the film um, made, and so yeah, if we if we can get some help on that, that's great. Well, we're going to have to have you back on and have a fundraiser on air and see if we get people to start making donations to you. See if we can get the the little cash register to go ka-ching and get your film produced. Uh, we got these always... films out there. Yeah, and lies yes. of omission. The... I like you can rent it for two ninety nine or buy it. For, like, was it six ninety nine or something like that uh, off of Amazon? Like that, yeah. Um, yeah, and and get it out to friends. And if I can, if I can get it on a disc, if you send it to me, I'll play it for my tea party. That I promise. Okay, you. I'll, I've got I'll send you. I got a DVD. Yeah, we, that is perfect. Yeah. All right, TL. Thank you for being with us, and have a fantastic weekend. God bless you. Well, thank you, Annie. I appreciate it. And Mr. Co-host, I appreciate your, your time as well. Oh, it was a pleasure. You didn't give me your name. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, he's got 20 some odd books here. C.S. Bennett, yes. All right. Uh, that was uh, T.L. And what a great man he is. I've, I've had him on the show many times <laughs> over the years. But also want to welcome back yeah. onto the show Thomas Williamson, also an author. He's the author of the Why Books, and you can find him on his website, which is his name, put a dash in the middle. Thomas Williamson, welcome back onto the show. Well, hi. How are you? It's good to be here, and uh, welcome. Uh, hi, Curtis, and uh, I enjoy How are you? Here. I'm great. Right. Yeah, Kurt, Curtis, what number of book are you up to now? 28. <laughs> 28. I think Curtis has me beat. <laughs> By a few. By just a few. By just one or two, yes. <laughs> well, your Y books are centered around a CIA guy, and, and you've got some background in there with personal experience. So, you know, um, People, I want them to go onto your website to get your books. There's a series of three, uh, the last one, the third one. And thank you for the copy that you sent me. Matter of fact, I had to almost slap my husband because he picked it up and was getting ready to start reading it. And I said, not until I'm done with the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, he gave you a really good good compliment because he started to read it. And he's, he looked at me and he goes, I have to put this down because if I don't, I'm going to sit here and read the whole thing in one sitting. That's how good your writing is. Well, now, thank you. I really problem? appreciate that. Uh, oh, the man. only other person who has ever told me that's my wife. 
Well, I'm going to take you into the foray of a lot of stuff that's going on around here in the United States. Um, Have you heard of a group called The Hammer? No, I have not. All right. My friend Sam Faddis has has brought that out. And I was talking to him just the other day, and he didn't say anything to me, but he was speaking about it up on Newsmax. And I'm like, Sam, come on, really? Uh, There is a – it's called the Black Hammer. And people can find out about it on blackhammer.org. And it was the first I have ever heard of it. Now, these guys are so radical that they think that Black Lives Matter is like a group of kindergarten kids. They are so dismissive of them. Now, we've got Black Lives Matter that is now pro-Palestinian and out there rioting in the streets for Palestine. But these guys, as I understand, have been simmering in the background for a long number of years, and they are actually building their own enclaves. They originally tried it down in Florida, and of course, you know, DeSantis is not going to have that. I know, no, not in my backyard. So they're up in the mountains somewhere in Colorado. And they have films, you know, pictures up on their website of them out there in these mountains. Well, I don't know how long that's going to last because I don't know how well these, this group has survival skills. And looking at the films, uh, it doesn't look like the IQ is up there too much. But he's warning us that there is a seriousness about this group because they have chapters nationwide. This is scary, Thomas. It is. Uh, it's the first time I've heard of them, but. Uh, ever since the end of World War II, uh, socialists, communists have been trying to um, convert, I think, uh, the various nations of the world to their way of thinking, and they do it by um, paying uh, monies to groups, getting them to uh, be, oh, the best way to put it, uh, anti-democrat, democratic country types of groups. Um, They're usually communist, socialist, Marxist, now progressive, uh, a word that was stolen from uh, Teddy Roosevelt a century ago. But it's all to uh, socialize the various countries, to take them over and have one party one state in control of everything. And I think they, uh, that's part of what they're trying to do here. And the first thing they tried to do is destroy and take down uh, uh, the current government type of government. Well, that's what we were talking with with TL. They've been chipping away at the foundation of our nation, which is the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And then you have a president in office that says the Bill of Rights are not absolute. And you got the sheep well, going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not absolute. We don't have freedom of speech. We don't have freedom of religion. And you can't carry guns. Well, that's that's all part of uh, called uh, – People, many people won't believe it, but the big takeover, they do it with propaganda and censorship. And if you look at many small countries over time um, who have a government overthrown, the first thing the uh, rebels, the uh, overthrowers try to do is to take over 
the major TV stations, radio stations, media, so they can control uh, what is fed out to the people. Well, that they have been doing, and uh, the media now are blatantly kowtowing to the progressive left, to actually the Soviet, uh, the communist left, and it, it is absolutely, they're not even hiding this anymore. I mean, at one point, we had no idea what side of the fence Walter Cronkite sat on until one day he let it slip that he was against the Vietnam War. You know, the man that, if he came out of his mouth, it was God's truth. But we've lost that respect for the media. And now instead of giving us the news, it's nonstop commentary. I mean, well, where do you find actual news anymore? You don't. You really don't. Uh, the PI and I think that changed when they had a uh, sitting at the desk and going out to various reporters uh for the news. Now they don't even bother to do that. They just uh, recite what they think or feel. Um, I, We have a newspaper here in the Peoria area, the Peoria Journal Star, and it has gotten thinner and thinner. And the only thing they have in it are AP stories or news, yeah. supposedly, and uh, even the AP has a slanted bias. Um, it's opinion given out as news, and it's quite sad to see. I, uh, I basically uh, I take the paper out of habit, and to read the comic strips, a couple of them, and um, <laughs> yeah, and do Sudoku to keep my mind from uh, sort of freezing up. <laughs> Basically, I have the same thing. The name of the newspaper where I live in South Carolina is actually longer than the, the print inside. <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely blatant. Once in a while, they'll come across with something good when they go after the school board and county council. And sometimes I can cheer them on. You know, wanting to get the Freedom of Information Act uh, for information to let us know about budgets and things like that. But then when you go to all the other areas, it is so blatantly left. And and you're reading the article. If you read the first paragraph, you basically know what the rest of the article is going to be and what it's all about. And, you know, no sense reading the rest of it because it's all going to be propaganda in there. Um and I, I, I haven't told the rest of the audience. I told my co-host um, the other day I was actually on uh, Frank Luntz's focus group, and he was doing this for the New York Times. And, you know, I kind of like admired him. I knew he had a left tilt, but he obviously edits his stuff because uh, at one point he was insisting something was a fact when the entire panel knew that it was not a fact. So even even when you think you have someone that is basically you know fair and honest, no matter what side of the political fence are, you know you pull the cover off, and all of a sudden the truth is revealed, and it's like okay, paint me stupid, and that's what we're seeing in our media. Well, that's so true. I one of the things, it's just not the media, sadly. I think a lot of people just country was founded. Uh, the foundations it was built upon, at least what the the country was meant to be, 
and even uh, the changes that have been made to make our country and our government better. Uh, and it's been, they have, people have destroyed our heritage, our uh, history, and when you do that, or after they do that, they're able to um, construct a, a new outline of what our country should be built on just a lot of uh, exaggerations like, let us uh, make all, all your hopes and dreams come true. You know, we just need to uh, take a few dollars, a few dollars more from these very rich people and give it to you, and the you never has to worry or care again. Life just isn't that way. No. You know, they want to make it all, everyone, all equal on just one level. But we're human beings. No two people are alike. We are individuals. Each one has separate dreams, wants, wishes, desires, tastes. And yes, uh, there is some sense that uh, just because I don't like, say, uh, I don't know, tofu, it doesn't mean that I'm racist. It's just I have a personal preference. You know, I prefer the beach and the mountains compared to the desert. It doesn't mean I'm racist. It's just my personal preference. So we're no longer recognizing that as individuals, we have our individual preference. So give me freedom to express them. But it doesn't mean I'm crouching on your toes. And I don't want you to think like I do. But that's not how the left is looking at it. In order for them to have control, you must think. You must act exactly as they tell you to. But then again, it comes down to the law for thee, but not for me. It's a double well, standard. That's true. And how they go about it is uh, I'll take uh, Democrat and Republican parties as an example. Right now, we're being categorized, the people are, by color, religion, um, sexual attitudes, all sorts of things. And it's you take your base, I'll say the Democrats, 35% of the people are going to vote Democrat. But if they can convince these various groups that that group needs to vote overwhelmingly for um, the Democrat Party, pretty soon you can pick up 10% of or 80% of the 10% of this group or 75% of the 10% of that group. And that easily gets you that extra 15, 16% of the votes you need. And, and then when you throw in, uh, oh, gee, great, another couple of thousand votes in various areas, it's very easy to uh, – uh, get the majority, and once you have the majority and you eliminate the minority's abilities to speak up and speak out by censorship or shaming them into silence, they become uh, the one-party, one-group system, the, the party, the group that is able to control uh, the country. 
Well, you know, you make a victim out of each group, and then you pit yes. the groups against each other. So that way they compete to vote for you. So you say, oh, I stand with, say, Native Americans, or I stand with black Americans. Uh, I stand with the Native, uh, whatever, indigenous elsewhere, the Hawaiians or whatever. You, know, you, you split them up, you pit them against each other, and then say, see, I told you you have a problem here, so I'm the person to help you solve that problem. Vote for me. And then you offer them things. You know, uh, free Obama phone, free housing, free food stamps, free this, free that. You end up doing absolutely nothing for them in the end. And you talk a good game and deliver zero, and you will have yourself a career in Congress for life. Well, that that is true. And sadly, uh, though, they will have a career, but we will no longer have a country. Um, it is it's difficult for me to uh sit here at my age and see what's happening and realize that the younger generations just want to follow uh along because it's so easy to follow the pied piper of uh good times never having to worry all your dreams, all your hopes can come true. All you have to do is vote Democrat. And as you can tell, I'm slightly biased <laughs> against the Democrat no. Party, especially now. <laughs> no, not slightly. No, not in the least bit. You know, but that is true. You know, in today's day and age, and I've said this ever since we've had this explosion of social networks, you know, it you no longer have face-to-face people meeting and the masks make it even worse because you don't you can't understand what they're saying you can't see their facial expressions to know you know what they are feeling they have put a wall up between individuals and humans are social animals we crave attention from a fellow human being so the best way to get that attention Oh, your smart device, or you go online, how many friends you got on TikTok, and how many likes you got on Facebook, and this and that. And the more those numbers jack up, the more you feel better. It used to be how many friends you had, uh, someone that you can call in the middle of the night or sit down and have a cup of coffee with and just relax and enjoy each other's company. That has become taboo because of COVID. No, 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 no. You've got to do social distancing. You can't hug. Now, I'm a hugger. My co-host will tell you, right, Curtis? I'm a hugger. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, my sister and her husband That's were true. locked up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my sister and husband were locked up for over two months because they had COVID. and They got cleared. And so they came over to the house to take care, help me take care of my mom today. And the first thing is hug and kiss. No, no, hug and kiss. I you're not, I don't care, hug and kiss. But you crave that human contact, but if you cannot get it physically, then you have to find some other way to satisfy, satisfy that craving, that need. So you get it through likes, through social networks. Or you, well, every, you, I'm sorry, well, you, was, you, you follow whatever the popular show is and imitate whoever that is on TV. Well, that's right, and everyone... I don't care who they are, if they're an introvert or they're sitting in their house by themselves. You know, that, that is so very true. 
And um, there are a lot of people because of COVID, you know, that that are suffering because they have no one to talk to. So uh, my mom one day asked me, oh, we just lost our guest. Hopefully he'll he'll call back in. But Curtis, my mom had asked me one day, you know, what is it that I can do? Because, you know, she's a stroke victim. And I said, Mom, you can pick up the phone and call someone. That You ask your church, who is it that's sitting home alone without anyone to talk to? You contact your church. And I'm oh. sure there's some sort of ministry. Yep, we got you back, Thomas. Yes, but we were thank talking you. About, uh, my mom had said, you know, what can I do? Because she had a stroke. And I says, Mom, you can talk on the phone, can't you? She goes, yeah. I says, contact your church. Ask them if they have a list of people that are home alone that have no one to talk to and ask them, can you call that individual and just spend a little time on the phone so they can hear another human voice and know that someone out there cares about them. But today's society, we don't even do that. You know, that little effort is just too much. Well, especially with the quote unquote time of COVID, uh, it's given, uh, sadly, uh, everybody sort of feels uh, alone, um, abandoned in a lot of ways. And uh, with changes over the last 10, 20 years with not having close relationships or as close as they used to be with your family, friends, and neighbors, it, uh, it's just sad. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Asmanov predicted this when he wrote the book, iRobot. You know, exactly what he was writing about in iRobot is what we are seeing today. You know, the Japanese are developing robots to take place of, of a real human being in your romantic affairs. Uh, it's, it, it is crazy. Now, and they I look tell like you, humans. You got to tell you, Tom, uh, we've got some uh, good listeners out there. Bigfoot, I call him Sasquatch, wrote in the uh, chat room, you can tell that social distancing is a left-wing concept because it includes the word social. He goes on to add, on the other hand, I'm in favor of socialist distancing because it means to stay as far away from a socialist as possible. <laughs> I love well, it. Well, it was at one time, uh, the word socialist uh, was included in a lot of different things. Uh, Union of Socialist uh, USSR, Socialist Republics, uh, the Communist Socialist Party, uh, even the fascist, the Nazi Party, Hitler's Party, had the word socialist in it uh, because that's a word that has been time-tested as acceptable, or at least it used to be. I think they're starting to get away from it a little bit. Uh, but we, everybody now wants us to become European socialists. We, we want to have the new uh, type of socialism that uh, the Europeans have, but they really don't. Uh, they just feed us a line that... Uh, that's the way we should be or that would be better for us. Well, then, you know, here you we're know, looking at uh, – go ahead, Curtis. I, I was just going to say on the terminology, when it comes to favorite terms of the left, they will never call this a republic. They will always call the United States a democracy. You ever notice that? Well, 
that's true. And the wonderful thing that the framers did was they gave the minority the opportunity. Uh, and when I say the minority, the few, the small states, uh, a voice. So they wouldn't be totally shut out. And I think now uh, with the democracy thing, you know, all you need is the um, the majority of one to shut up the 49%. And I think that's what's starting or what is trying to happen or be caused to happen. Well, we're looking now with this uh, conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, um, and now we have Democrats in the House saying that you know we should be not sending weapons to Israel anymore. We should be supporting the Palestinians, and Joe Biden is sending money back over there. It's pay pay to slay funds, uh, and now we see the open rioting in the streets of them going after we keep on losing Thomas he must have a really bad connection um I know he'll call right back in uh hopefully here he comes again he's it's like he's like a, yeah, that a, happened a, to a, me earlier a yo-yo <laughs> yes, don't <laughs> feel bad yeah out. yeah but we, uh, I we was live in that, an area of the country that uh I think the uh liberals are trying to shut down our uh phone systems Oh, oh yeah. no! And yeah, uh, I was saying that um, we are now seeing the open rioting in the streets of these pro-Palestinians and um, going after Jewish people, going into restaurants, going into the neighborhoods, and beating them up. And we see no outcry on any of the media, you know, as if they're giving tacit approval. We had this with Black Lives Matter and Antifa all last year and all this year. Now it's spread into now a pro-Palestinian movement, which, quote, Black Lives Matter backs. This has gotten into a, a scary time of our nation. It is, and uh, what I'll say is I think the state of Israel is fantastic. I uh, support them 100%, um, and I think as a uh, country, as a people, after what they went through, good for them. You know, it's uh, time to, and they have, they've stood up and they've said no more. And I think that's terrific. Absolutely. So, you know, we've got Rashida Tlaib going on saying that uh, Joe Biden should uh, assist the Palestinian. uh, And then Biden, head of a Michigan speech, speech said the White House must do more to protect Palestinian lives, dignity, and human rights. Uh, She's calling it apartheid. Obviously, they know absolutely nothing about Israel, that they do have Muslims and Christians in their government as ministers, uh, taking an active and equal part in government. And so where do they get the apartheid? There are no walls and fences separating an Arab area of Israel from any other area. You have them co-mixing. So, so where do they come up with an apartheid? Oh, because the Palestinians are outside of Israel? 
Now, there never was a country called Palestine. So where do they come up with the occupied you know, uh, territory? They obviously are using propaganda to stir up anti-Israeli Israeli, uh, sentiment because they know if Israel falls, they then control the Middle East with their socialist ideals. Well, that that is true, and for me personally, um, I probably shouldn't say it, but I, because my family was in the Air Force and throughout the Cold War, I really do believe in MAD, mutually assured destruction, and when, and I believe that if somebody attacks me and my family, they will regret it, um, and I think Israel is doing exactly what they need to do uh, in retaliating. You can only take so much, and sadly, the the world's ideas of Israel being the aggressor has been um, perpetuated by propaganda from the left. It's all a matter of propaganda and censorship. If no one speaks out or the people who do speak out are quieted, all you hear are the people like Tlaib and uh, other radical, uh, and it's just, it's sad. I'll just leave it at that. And now we turn around and... uh, We've got our president cozying up with Putin. We have him supporting Palestine. Uh, but where does all the socialist ideals come from? Well, you got to remember, these Muslim terrorists, in order to get their training, went to Moscow. Hezbollah sent them to Moscow for training to Putin's communist brethren that trained them in in communist ideals, as well as the tactics of the KGB and other ways in which to cause insurrection and other problems. So, you know, we're just helping our enemies. And they are really, are they really that blind or they really truly do want full destruction of these United States? I I think they uh, want the destruction of the United States uh, and they truly are, so, having been so misled for so long, uh, they are blind, at least blind to um, just anything that is not uh, something they totally agree with. No. And, uh, Curtis, you asked the question about the Iron Dome with Israel. It is working exactly as it should, very successfully. Good. They proved that it does work. So, yeah, we need our own Star Wars up here. But, you know, here we have uh, a government that is trying to subvert uh, our politics, uh, and they're actively working uh, to make us more progressive. So they keep their – and there goes – did you drop off again, Thomas? No, someone else did. Okay. No, no, no. I, I saw a phone number drop off. Oh, it dropped off my backup line. See, now I got dropped off. Anyway, um In order to get the votes they need to stay in power, they have to create an additional voting base because they know the last election was too close. 
They, they, they allegedly won by just such a small margin. So they need to create votes. So they couldn't do it through the re, UN resettlement program because we got onto them and forced that to stop. So how else are you going to get that voter base in? You leave open the southern border, and then you fly these children immigrants and their parents and everyone else, the MS-13 and the human traffickers and the drug dealers. You transport them, free plane rides, free clothing, free food, into the heartland of America in the middle of the night and not letting communities they dump them in even know what they have on their hands. This is despicable. Isn't it sad that uh, the only people now who really speak up or let you know what is happening are these small-town newspapers or smaller-town newspapers and television shows? No one in the national media has bothered to uh, show what's happening or tell what's happening. It had to take... uh, television station, I think, in Chattanooga that uh, started to bring out some of this uh, about how many uh, bus loads, plane loads of uh, children, not just the grown-ups, but the kids are being transported into one small city. It is really sad, and um, it's it's beyond pathetic. Yeah, and now that city is responsible for that additional population dumped on them so that means money for housing uh for medicaid uh for education uh for teaching them english the second language so they can get themselves a job uh if, if they don't have a job then you know social security uh it, it it the local towns can't handle that financial responsibility so they overwhelm the local government so there's no one left to fight them they tried that here in South Carolina in Greenville, Spartanburg, and it ended up South Carolina ended up suing the Obama administration, which helped to get the UN resettlement program out. But this is what the small towns, the states are going to have to do again, sue the administration to stop the practice. But wait a minute. No, no, no. We can't have restrictions on the southern border. You, know, you can't have a wall there, but we can put a wall around the capital, keep American citizens away from their government, and protect them in their seat of power. It's never been done. It was a tragedy, January 6th. It was the worst thing ever happened. Excuse me, what about the gunman that walked into the Capitol in the 1950s and murdered congressmen as they sat there in session? That wasn't bad. No one got murdered on January 6th, but that. But we're going to put a wall around the Capitol and protect us from this loyal legal citizen. Brilliant. Well, the thing that uh, disappoints me the most is so few congressmen, Republican congressmen, spoke up when uh, that fencing and that razor wire went up. And when they uh, put the National Guard in there, uh, that was pathetic. Especially when you think just a few months before uh, when... Uh, the President Trump walked out, uh, walked to the church and held up a Bible. People were saying uh, how terrible it was. And uh, if you brought in the National Guard at that point, you were uh, 
going to destroy the country. And as soon as, um, I guess, the page was turned and Biden was in office, up went uh, all the things that uh, uh, they accused the Republicans of doing. Offense, the National Guard, all to protect them against uh, an imaginary uh, threat. Well, you're right about that. I don't know what happened to Annie's audio, but the <laughs> left, the it's been kind of weird here today. But anyways, the the left is good at creating um, illusionary perceptions. You know, like you were just talking about the threat to the Capitol and um, with all the National Guards. And if if it was Trump doing this, oh, it would be a different spin by the media. I have no doubt. What are your thoughts on that? Um, You're back. Am I back? Or is, <laughs> is yeah, I, I, I just Yeah, I just asked you a question, but it seemed like you weren't even um, um, on the mic. I don't know. Somehow you got muted. But I was asking you um, about the practices of the left when it comes to perceptions, like what they're doing in D.C. right now, with, you know, having people um, think there there's a, a real threat against the Capitol and our officials there. You know, like I said, if this was Trump, it would be a whole different spin on this. And then I asked, what were your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts are that uh, back to controlling uh, what we hear and know, and if the Democrats repeat through the media their uh, false narrative enough, and that's all the people hear, that's what they start to believe. And uh, sadly, uh, I remember when uh, the military, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, were telling uh, Trump that uh, the worst thing in the world for him would be to um, uh, put the National Guard around the White House. And yet, um, the minute the Democrats are in power, they put... uh, the National Guard around the Capitol, uh, along with the, the fencing and razor wire that uh, reminded me of uh, East Berlin. Yeah, and that's true. Well, Thomas, we, we have our next guest up waiting to come on, but uh, where can our, our people reach you? Well, I have a, yes, I have a website for my books. Thomas-Williamson.com. That's Thomas-Williamson.com. And I enjoyed talking to you, and Anne, and thank you very much. Yeah, and hopefully we can get her back. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Strange things are happening with the phones today. It is. So take care. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, it looks like our next guest is on board. Is this Michael Johns? 
Can you hear me? I have no idea what's going on out there today, but I wouldn't be surprised if um, we're, you know, in the process of being hacked or have been hacked. It's estranged the society that we live in where you can't even broadcast without, you know, thinking that something or someone or some group is behind the technical issues that we, we seem to be having here lately. But we were supposed to have one at this time, Michael Johns, and I'm pretty sure he's there, but for some reason we cannot hear him. And Annie is like lost out in the twilight zone somewhere. But continuing with our, our theme today, which um, the Great Reset, can it be stopped? Yes, I believe it can. Um, Annie, can you hear me? It seems like I can hear Annie faintly in the background. And I'm not even sure if anybody's hearing me. So I'm going to type something in the chat room. Can anyone hear me or Annie? But this is really weird. But as I was saying, if you still can hear me, this country, this great nation, this renowned um, republic has had many opportunities in the past to, to, to fail. And at critical points in our history's time, we, we bounced back. Um, of course, one was the Revolutionary War. I mean, this experiment could have ended long before it really got started. And our, our leaders at that time, who became our founding fathers, they all faced hanging if, you know, their resistance had, resistance had failed. And, of course, then there was the Civil, I mean, the War 1812, when they marched on Washington, D.C. I mean, the Brits pretty much, you know, were, were at the heart of this nation, you know, our capital, and they were in the process of burning it down went out of nowhere on a nice sunny day, a cloud formed. And it's almost as if God, you know, um, touched the earth and, and twirled his finger a little bit, creating a, a like storm, almost like a tornado or whatever, that um, killed most of the Brits and the rest, the remainder were forced to retreat the city and the rains from that, that, that storm help put out some of the blazes um, um, over the next few days. Uh, we could have felt then. And then, of course, we had the Civil War, and that caused the lives of over 620,000 people. Um, we could have really ended, you know, um, this republic at that time. And had we failed, had Lincoln failed, and the Union Army had failed, we would probably be two nations today. Um, the North free, the South still, you know, with slaves. 
And um, and then, of course, moving on, we had Reconstruction. Um, things were going pretty well the first couple of years of Reconstruction, and um, this is after after slavery was abolished and um, blacks were given the right, you know, to vote on property and, and to become citizens. And things looked pretty good there for a while, as long as we had Union soldiers in the South. But then came along a Republican president, um, Rutherford B. Hayes, and um, I think it was around his time for re-election, and he knew he needed the South. He desperately needed the South, supported the South to stay in office. So he capitulated. And... Um, Okay. <laughs> so it seems like we're having a dual conversation, it seems, Annie and I. I hear her, too, and she's very faint big foot. And I doubt if she can hear me. So I'm going to see if I can figure out what's going on here. Well, <clears throat> I'm back again. I'm not getting any response from Andy on the chat room line. And I do know at least Bigfoot can hear me. I'm not sure about the others out there, Duck and Gary. But continuing, our nation has really, you know, undergone a lot. And I think in modern, more modern times, the main threat um, to our republic has been the ascension of uh, Barack Hussein Obama because I think up to that point most Americans were really getting along very well um, we didn't have all this racial divide and then comes along this this, this guy here who who we still don't know was a legitimate you know candidate for the presidency because of um, um, issues surrounding his um, his origin of birth and, and dual citizenship, but um, we came close to um, being a div- you know divided country then, and and more recently, um, of course we have 
Hmm. Now see again, it's like it's like I hear Annie, but she's like in the Twilight Zone on a different show. <laughs> and I'm not sure why she she's not looking at the um, chat room chatter, but um, I will say this much: um, even though Obama has done a lot of damage to this country. Thankfully, um, as always in the past, we have people that, that, that came out of nowhere and their appearance on the scene took the country back on the right path. And, of course, I'm talking about Trump in our day and age. And, um, you know, this guy accomplished a whole lot more than a lot of presidents combined over the last, you know, 16 to 20 years. Um, but, of course... He was a disruptor, and that was all right because we sent him there to clean up the swamp. And that he began to do. But uh, sadly, his own party establishment types I'm talking about uh, played supporting roles in um, the left agenda of getting rid of uh, Trump because he was getting too close to the truth and putting the truth out there to the people. So, you know, they had to go all out to get this man to destroy him and to to put up that, that, that perception that he was a racist and um, not good for the country, a bigot, and um, everything else you can think of, you know, that's in the book and, and not in the book. So they went out to, de, you know, define him, destroy him, and fi- finally they got, you know, rid of him. And they didn't do it. You know, fairly. You know, they don't they don't play fair. The left. These guys had to manufacture an election fraud to to oust Trump, and that's the only way they got in. And sadly, our institutions, such as the Justice Department and the Supreme Court, and and some of the lower courts um, at the federal level, they failed us. Because um, they turn, they turn away from um, their their duty and their obligations to uphold the law and to preserve and protect the Constitution. They put their heads in the sand and um, allow this to go on. So even though it seems as though we're at that pivotal point again, where this country could go. Um, in a way that was never meant by the founding fathers, I personally believe that uh, they're going to fail, um, just as they did the first two years. I mean, they got pretty much what they were after the first two years of um, the Obama administration, that was to take over our health care system. And, and the reason why they went after that, we know, is because if you can control the health issue, you can control every aspect of um our lives in this country, you know, all you have to do is declare a health crisis and impose draconian um, regulations and, and, and policies and even laws if they want to go that far. But I think and still believe that we, we have a chance. Um, we have the upcoming midterms elections coming up, and that is um, 
our first um, opportunity to regain control of the House and the Senate. And by doing that, pretty much like we did um, after Obama's first two years, we can kind of like put the brakes on their agenda long enough to um, slow them down, if not stop them, until we can regain the White House in 2024. Now, whether that will be Trump or whether that will be DeSantis or someone else, we'll just have to wait. I see that Annie has written us, but no, I don't hear any sound from her. If anyone else can hear or cannot hear from Annie, please type in that, you know, you can or you can so we can work this out. I'm going to respond to Annie right now. And I told her, no, we cannot hear her. So until we can, I will continue on. Even though we have a guest and I can't seem to connect with the guest, um, I'm just going to continue our conversation about, you know, this country and its ability to rebound. Um, as in, in all things, you know, you get to a certain point where the people are going to push back. Now, Annie says she's got full sound, but she doesn't know what happened. Um, and I only see one number up there for the host. She normally has two, a backup. And I'm not sure if she's speaking on her backup one, which doesn't show. And that could be the issue. She's not on her host. Mm, this is really strange. In the three years I've been on this show, <laughs> I've never had this kind of Twilight Zone experience. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to how the um, podcast is going to sound. <laughs> but anyway, I think once we, we regain the House and the Senate and we can hopefully, um, you know, try to stop these guys from cheating again, especially at the level they did in 2020 and uh, when the pre you know, the presidency back then. And, and, and I believe truly that if it's Trump or Ron DeSantis, I mean, they're going to go after the Democrats big time. And I think we're going to see some people really going to jail. I think he's going to clean house up at the um, justice department where they have failed us the last, um, um, eight years, really, but especially the four years that um, Trump was in office. Um, and I say that because that before he was elected, um, there was some shenanigans going on in the Justice Department um, by way of the FBI and some of the characters and in that situation with the dossier. But um, not only just the Justice Department, but um, other agencies um like the IRS, who came after the Tea Party um, some years ago, and um, and and these these um, agencies are intelligence agencies who are spying on us. That has to be checked because um, without without our 
you know, ability to to have privacy and freedom of speech, um, we we will not remain a free country. And it seems as though we get to the point where most people realize that we are not as free as we should be or think we should be or think that we are. And that's because we're being monitored. I mean, the government is building facilities, and I'm sure most of you you all have heard of um, um, data centers out at the airport in like Utah or Colorado or something like that, underground um, facilities that are storing information left and right on the citizens. They are um, listening in um, on some of our conversations. Um, not only that, they are using these things against some of us. I, and, and I say that because when you look at how the system failed us in 2020, you have to you have to wonder if some of these justices and and some of these other people at the Justice Department were being blackmailed just because of information that was collected on them. It's almost like the days of uh, <clears throat> J. Edgar Hoover when he spied on Martin Luther King and a couple of other people. Um, and I mean, even the Kennedys, I mean, he, he didn't spare anyone, you know, to stay in power. He, he got dossiers on everybody. And that's how come um, J. Edgar Hoover, director at the FBI stayed around so long because anytime somebody wanted to get rid of him, he'll just pull out a file and, 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 and have a meeting with that, that, that person and say, hey, you know, we just happen to have this in our files about that, you know, little, you know, little meeting you have with that young, you know, underage girl, you know, and, and next thing you know, he's, he's, he's back in office, you know, he's never, you know, um, expelled. But I hear Annie again, and I believe she's talking to the host. I mean the um, guests, and um, we're having parallel conversations. So I really don't know how we're going to resolve this. But Duck says uh, it's watching on Facebook. So if you all have the capacity to turn the Facebook, go ahead and do that because I have to leave in a few minutes. I got an event at the um, American Legion, so I would recommend everyone go to Facebook and listen in to Annie and our guests. But I'm going to see if I can get on Facebook too. So my dialogue will end right now and I, like I said, encourage everyone else to tune in on Facebook. Thank you. Yeah, hi there. I lost hi, time for a that... second. I apologize. <laughs> Dustin? Yes, this is Dustin. All right, Dustin. Uh, this is your uh, my host. We had some te- technical difficulty. We I, I didn't realize my sound completely dropped out and no one could hear me for a while. And I was interviewing Michael Johns uh, from uh, 
<laughs> and unfortunately, I got everything going on my end, but no one else could hear me. So I apologize. But we got you back, and they can hear you. So we got uh, uh, Dustin Carmack with the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, sir, and welcome to the Funny Farm. <laughs> hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. Um, now i got to find my notes for you because there's so much to talk about. We were talking about uh, the technical difficulties uh, we've been having. So you're the perfect person. You can understand hacking and all this yeah. stuff. <laughs> it's a crazy and world fact, out there. Yeah. yeah. And you've wrote, written some fantastic articles about the Russian hacker on the dark side that people can go to Heritage over to the Daily Signal and, and pull them up by even key in your name, uh, Dustin Carmack, to read your articles. But what is this group, the dark side, and is it Putin-backed? Yeah, it's unclear on uh, on that second question if it's Putin-backed. But the one thing that, you know, anything cyber-related as uh, it relates to either a Russian or, or even a former Soviet state territory is that there's usually some complicity or at minimum safe harbor that, you know, Putin and his government essentially supplies you know, these cyber criminals and, you know, it works well for them because they essentially kind of are under a tangential agreement to, you know, not shoot at each other as long as, you know, there's no ransomware attacks on, you know, Russian companies or networks and vice versa. Uh, you know, that it's, it's helpful for them in terms of, you know, you know, Putin likes to see chaos, you know, in the West. And so it's, uh, you know, dark side is, you know, relatively new, you know, it's a, you know, these ransomware groups, pop, you know, pop up, you know, all the time, but, uh, I think the, they were first really identified last August, uh, and you know, so they were only about nine months old. But they essentially create malware tools that that essentially, you know, people that kind of subscribe to dark side and and you know and go in and and can get use these tools um, to you know uh, do ransomware attacks. You know, primarily generally ransomware attacks are on uh, schools and hospital associations and corporations. Uh, and, you know, you don't hear about them a ton because, you know, they just don't, you know, pop up the way that, say, like what happened with the Colonial Pipeline where, you know, it causes, you know, some panic related to, you know, supply of, you know, fuel for, you know, 45% of the East Coast. Yeah, well, uh, my state, South Carolina, was one of the ones that was in the in that line. And uh, one day I was down to half a tank. I had to hit three stations. Yeah. But, you know, um, my friend Michael Doherty uh, had gotten – attacked by one of these guys and ransomware was put into his company's computer. He ended up having to fold the company. In the end, he won the fight, but it cost him his business and it cost the jobs. Uh, and he wrote a book about it. So it doesn't surprise me now that it's gotten so sophisticated. And the more we get our technology out there, the more we're open to attack. And someone mentioned to me the other day, about the ability of possibly even, you know, uh, attacking a person's individual vehicle, the car, and hijacking the car because of Bluetooth connections. Uh, have you heard anything like that? There was, um, you know, there was some reporting, and I, I can't remember the source, and I can't tell you if it was totally, you know, uh, ever, you know, uh, verified that there somebody was able to hack into a Jeep system at one point, but, you know, I think Jeep actually countered that, you know, it was a temporary like software glitch on their end. But, I, you know, if I remember right, so, I mean, with any system, like I said, you know, the, you know, vulnerabilities, you know, come up. I mean, that's why 
you know, Microsoft, you know, every, you know, you know, one Tuesday every month, they essentially push out updates because, you know, as, as you just keep glomming on, you know, more layers of a system, you know, uh, different vulnerabilities will come into play. And so people will try to take advantage of those. And those, those scary ones are the ones that we don't know about, you know. So, you know, a lot of these engineers spend tons of time trying to go through and, and understand and, and find these vulnerabilities. They they pay essentially white hat hackers to, you know, try to hack them and to find them and, and identify them sooner. But, I mean, in the case of, you know, what happened earlier this year, like I say, like in SolarWinds or Hafnium, these are kind of zero, under, you know, zero-sum uh, hacks where people didn't know about it until it was too late. Well, that's what happened with the Colonial Pipeline. And when we, I heard people, politicians talking about uniting the electric grid, um, I'm, I'm going like, how dumb can you be? Because how easy would it be then to um, hack into the government system that has united the electrical grid nationwide? How easy would it be to take down the entire United States with the flip of one switch? Yeah, you know, part of the beauty of our, the diversity of our system is to have, you know, diverse networks and essentially redundancies and and, and the ability to harden the grid. And, and there's there's questions, too. You know, uh, you know, what happened in Texas earlier this year was they had made, you know, essentially economical decisions, uh, rightfully or wrongfully so, to not harden some of their, their grid towards, you know, extreme freezes. Um, but it just shows you what can happen, you know, with one grid, you know, in that, that case, you know, primarily most of Texas. Um, but any kind of united network, you have to kind of build these redundancies in and harden your grid. And so cybersecurity is just, it, you know, really, you know, my old boss said, you know, it's, you know, it is national security that, you know, it is the name of the game at the moment. And like you said, it, you know, nefarious or not, you know, uh, with a few clicks of a keystroke, uh, you can do a lot of damage that can have real world effects. Now, with the Colonial Pipeline, what have, would have been your recommendations for them so that something like this does not happen again? Yeah, it's tough, you know, and we don't, we still don't have a good understanding of all the details. You know, they, you know, the CEO had an interview with the Wall Street Journal last week that, you know, he finally, you know, admitted that they had paid the $4.4 million uh, of ransom within about, you know, 12 hours of being aware of the attack uh, that happened on that Friday morning. Uh, but then the decryption key that they received, you know, you know, some of the reporting has said that you know, it worked so slowly uh, that essentially they went back to, you know, rebooting systems from their backups. And so, you know, in this case, you know, you paid a lot of money and still had to you know, deal with the pain. And like they said, it's probably going to cost them tens of millions of dollars in the long run because they're still actually building back parts of their network because it, you know, technically wasn't on the operational side of the pipeline, but they, they shut it down proactively because they were worried about it. You know, they didn't know how far the hackers had reached into their systems. And usually it, a lot of these companies try to kind of keep those systems bifurcated for that reason. Um, but it shows you like, everything that's interconnected can have, you know, touches. I, you know, in terms of recommendations, you know, the FBI, you know, they spend a lot of time trying to tell these companies, you know, advise them to not pay these ransoms. But, you know, it's hard. You know, they, they admit, you know, when you're you're stuck between, you know, turning the lights back on or you've got a, a company that, you know, in this case has you know, very valuable prospects for, you know, essentially the light, you know, livelihood of, you know, the East Coast and, and a lot of, you know, uh, a major energy asset. Um, you know, companies make hard decisions. And, and what, but the problem with all that is, 
is essentially it creates just a continuous cycle uh, where, you know, these ransomware attackers have got quite the business going. And, and in many ways, too, there's now an entire insurance industry <laughs> being built out of, uh, you know, essentially, you know, protecting yourself in the case of a cyber, or, you know, cyber ransomware attack. So say, you know, and, and in this case, Colonial has said that they had insurance that, you know, there's no details on what that was, but they'll, you know, probably recoup some money uh, from the insurance that they had on this. But, but like I said, you know, some Europeans have kind of developed like a toolbox, uh, essentially of decryption tools that, you know, they advise companies to, to not, you know, make the ransom uh, and then come to essentially kind of a central, you know, processing facility where they can talk to experts that can try to help them, you know, maneuver this. But the big thing is, too, is, you know, alerting, you know, your local authorities and, you know, federal authorities to be able to, to you know, try to help in these situations. And, you know, in this case, I think that they probably, you know, were, were so worried about how quickly they wanted to get things back online that they alerted the FBI but didn't really wait for any kind of follow-up. Now, that's a shame. Now, you also recommended diversifying our energy. Um, and we're seeing a push now getting yeah. off of oil. And no more drilling, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be solar. It's going to be uh, uh, wind. How wonderful that's going to be. Right. Uh, you got solar panels that are full of toxic materials. So they have a limited life. And once you dispose of them, you have to dispose of them like toxic materials. Uh, wind, we know those wind turbines cause vibrations that cause mental distress for individuals. Uh, you also have the killing of migrating birds. I was, where's PETA on wind? So why would we then logically want to have either wind or solar? but not all three. Forget about nuclear. They've been killing those nuclear plants since 1970. So why aren't we diversifying and protecting ourselves with backup systems? Yeah, no, it's a perfect example. I mean, like, so we should have, you know, we should be building in redundancies in these systems wherever we can. And, you know, in in different parts of the country are are unique for for different types of energy needs, you know, both from the actual substantive side of how much energy you need to what they can produce, you know. You know, coal had been a historical, you know, big prospect until, you know, with the invention of fracking, you know, natural gas ended up being a cheaper, you know, route to go for, you know, a lot of folks in the market worked. Um, as you mentioned, like nuclear power, zero, pretty much zero carbon emissions, but we've made it such a regulatory hassle for new nuclear to come online. And, the, and even one of the funnier things, I was talking to somebody here recently you know, a lot of nuclear power plants, you know, they're running on 30, 40, 50 years old now. A lot of them still use analog systems that are not, you know, essentially connected to, to networks, which is actually, you know, has in many ways reverse engineered that they're actually probably more protected from these types of cyber attacks because they are still running analog systems uh, because a lot of them haven't been updated and it's generally worked so far. So, um, yeah, I agree. Like I said, you know, one thing that, you know, I think the administration, you know, we kind of, you know, people force them to say is that pipelines are important. Diversity uh, of energy sources is important and we need to, we need to keep pressing this. Well, you know, when you wrote this article that people, again, can find on heritage.org, uh, this article was par- titled Two Actions, the U.S. in the Wake of the Colonial Pipeline Crisis. And one of the suggestions you gave, and I, I, I'm going to ask you to give me, mm, on a betting man's odds, the chance of government being able to do this. You write, build defense against cyber attacks 
without government bloat. What's, what are the odds of that actually happening? <laughs> yeah, no, you know, anytime somebody, uh, you know, dabbles a dollar out there uh, from the federal government, you know, a lot of times either, there's either, you know, regulatory strings attached that are too painful for a company and vice versa. So, it's, it, like I said, it's a fine balancing act. And so one of the things that we've talked about is, you know, for the, you know, essentially our cyber actors such as, you know, Cyber Command, NSA, CISA and FBI, which are the domestic components of our cybersecurity and, and cyber law enforcement systems, a lot of times they don't have a very good, you know, view, an accurate picture of what's actually happening in terms of the attack, you know, the, the attack theater. And so uh, we've got to encourage businesses. Now, I'm, my advocacy is not for that to be a financial incentive. A lot of times what people are talking about is how can you give uh, essentially a confidential ability uh, with protection from, you know, liability from either further regulation if it's to no fault of their own. doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, these companies can't take for granted, you know, putting their own resources in on their own to protect their systems. Um, but, you know, protecting their IP and protecting, you know, confidentiality for the government to be able to quickly share information, and if it you know spreads over to a systemically critical infrastructure network of a, a similar attack, then you know the FBI and CISA and the government needs an ability to quickly share that information amongst each other. You know, and a lot of the industry tries to do that themselves, um, but you know our government also has tons of you know assets and tons of intelligence capabilities that can give a good keen eye, especially if it's foreign emanating. Um, and so that's kind of what I meant in terms of trying to, you know, try to bifurcate these two and try to, you know, keep it narrowly scoped where you don't have to bloat the bureaucracy, but you can create a better system where people can rapidly get a hold of information and learn how to, you know, uh, tackle the problem at hand. Well, you know, President Trump had created the Space Force and actually got it up and running. And it's been incorporated into the intelligence uh, divisions. And that's, he, he foresaw what the future is going to bring us because now we've got China launching satellite after satellite. And now the Iranians are trying to launch satellites. We've got our enemies trying to put equipment into space that would be able to interrupt our communications and help these hackers. You know, was Trump correct in getting this done now rather than later? Oh, 100%. I mean – what the administration did in terms of prioritizing space, uh, you know, and being, you know, the eyes in the sky and, and the next frontier, you know, you mentioned cyberspace and, and, but space, you know, essentially cyberspace and space are the future of, you know, you could say warfare or, you know, primarily just you know, in terms of uh, power projection. And so the United States has been kind of the king dog, you know, in this market for a long time. And, you know, but that, that, you know, that has been challenged heavily in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. Russia has amazing space capabilities. The Chinese are pouring, you know, tons of money and assets. And they're also looking at ways to counter, you know, counter, uh, build counter systems uh, to our space assets. And so the creation of Space Force, um, you know, is a huge recognition that um, this has become a new battleground. And, you know, it, it, again, as we talk about cybersecurity as it relates to a pipeline that runs up the East Coast, you know, everybody's phone contains a GPS you know, system that a lot of times these are all connected uh, via networks that are assisted by satellites. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that these countries, you know, our adversaries look at is like, how can you damage that capability that could cause chaos? 
It, it, it can. And, you know, what really scares me, um, the fact that every single phone has the GPS. And if, if anyone were to go on to Google, it'll actually give you a timeline of exactly where you were. And now the Chinese have honed this to a fine art where it even has facial recognition to, so that they basically know what you're thinking or feeling at any moment in time. And they now have it tied up to that, like a credit rating. So, you know, the higher your credit rating with the Communist Party, the better you are a good citizen to Communist China. The technology out there is scary. Yeah, technology, you know, it has its, uh, it, it, you know, it has unbelievable possibilities to improve life for everybody, and it also has unbelievable power to create systems that are antithetical to our principles as it relates to privacy at times, to, you know, what we worry about authoritarian regimes using it for, you know, uh, human rights abuses, as, you know, we see in terms of kind of the, you know, surveillance state that, you know, places like China have created uh, and, you know, damaging, you know, and, and essentially, you know, genocide of their Uyghur population. And so it's, um, you know, it's one of the things that the, the U.S. has to take a leadership role. We have to work with our allies to kind of build a network and an understanding of rules of the road uh, to protect these systems, to protect the advancement of the technology. But we also don't want to do anything that kneecaps us uh, in terms of hindering the future of technological innovation in the country because, like I said, otherwise those scary capabilities that you talk about are going to be used, you know, proactively uh, at a much heavier scale by our adversaries. And now we're talking about going 5G nationwide. Um, and originally Haywa wanted to have that contract uh, but, you know, there again is another area in which we can find our systems and our daily lives disrupted if someone could get into that 5G system. That's right. Yeah. 5G, I mean, again, it's, uh, you know, we've really, the, the Trump administration did a great job of really trying to counter what Huawei was doing. But it almost, you know, like I said, almost in many ways it was uh, late in some other areas, and, you know, we're trying to convince, you know, allies, uh, you know, to, to think differently about these, but a lot of it becomes economic issues for, for these countries, and, you know, even to to an extent, before we were able to ripping out hardware in the U.S., that was what was happening, you know, even at some of the state levels, um, but now, like, so, you know, I think I, I've noticed there is, like, actually pretty good uh, understanding of this issue on the Hill. They're trying to find kind of diverse ways to deconstruct, you know, future technologies to help, you know, broaden network access for not only like rural places in the country, but essentially that, you know, a, a stack of how the, the, you know, essentially of how 5G or, you know, cell towers work, you know, that allows for different vendors where uh, you allow more innovation inside that. And it allows the ability for us to uh, more quickly deploy uh, what 5G and, and safe 5G with, uh, you know, essentially the security that is needed to make sure our, our uh, communications are protected. Uh, man, and, and if you think about China now with their Bridges and Roads program, they're going to these same countries like Italy, uh, like Thailand, and offering the 5G, it only gives them better control over these countries and making them uh, like a, almost like a sub-satellite. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, 
the, you know, what they do with like their belt and road initiative and, and the, you know, their you know, thousand talent program. I mean, you know, they're, they are working their way to build essentially, you know, same as the, you know, the spice roads uh, and, you know, network access. Uh, and a lot of this, you know, is promotion of a, a longer term. They think, you know, one thing that, you know, I think the U.S. has always been challenged with um, and, you know, it's almost a cultural thing is that we think of things in almost way too short, of, especially nowadays in the digital age, where we think of things in these tranches of, you know, just the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade. Um, you know, the Chinese are thinking and structurally, literally in blocks of 50 to 100 years. And so they look at this in terms of, you know, protecting their assets and, and building their uh, their influence across the globe in the long term. And so the U.S. has to kind of, you know, they've got to really rejigger their thoughts on how they, they, they do this and a strategy has to be involved. And there's, there's actually more substantive conversation on that in D.C. than there was, you know, say five to ten years ago now. Yeah, well, one of the things Trump did was convince some of these countries to not go with the Chinese system. Uh, which was a good thing. But now with Biden doing the flip-flop with Putin, Lord knows what's going to happen now. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> technology aside, you know, uh, we need to be defensive when it comes to technology. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, to the administration, former administration's credit, they did a lot to, to change the, the direction of where things were going, you know, from the previous administration. And, and like I said, I think, you know, there's, there has been some bright spots that, you know, I think that, that everybody's taking this seriously. But I look at also, too, you know, credit to, you know, my former boss, DNI Reckless, and others who really tried to make the case throughout the years and, and especially towards the end of the Trump administration uh, about the security challenges that, you know, we see before us and that, you know, you can't just turn a blind eye to it. And so I think in many ways they helped to kind of force to the equation um, that we've got to take these, you know, structural problems such as, you know, cybersecurity, the future of, you know, space, um, our defense systems, everything. You know, this is something that, you know, we've got to think about substantively. Well, you know, we only have a few moments left to the show, uh, but one of the things we're finding is that, uh, yeah, the voting machines, uh, some of them had amazing defects uh, in one county in Pennsylvania. Every single vote that was rejected from the machine because of a, a glitch happened to have been Republican. Gee, there was no vote tampering in this past election at all, not in the least bit. You know, you know, like I said, I I am not as uh, knowledgeable on everything that happened, you know, from like a state by state basis. Uh, but like I said, it you know goes back to that fundamental thing that we said before that any kind of interconnected system needs to to have you know reliability and you know essentially redundancies to make sure you know that from an audibility auditability standpoint that you can go back to verify you know the votes as they as they come. And so I think. You know, a lot of states, uh, you know, since, you know, what happened in 2020 have, have gone back to the ledger to make sure that their systems are are redundant and, and building in security systems uh, more heavily. And like I said, there had been a lot of uh, improvement even, you know, from 2016 to 2018. Uh, that also goes to, you know, uh, you know, what the administration had done to, you know, safeguard from, you know, foreign threats as well. Well, one of the reasons why I brought up the election is because your buddy Hans von Spakowski maintains a, a, a section on 
Heritage Foundation, uh, where they do put up examples that they've been investigated and found to be proven voter fraud. Uh, so with this one, he's got his hands yeah. full. But um, I want to thank you and everyone over at Heritage for doing such a fantastic, fantastic job. We love you guys. Yeah, thank you. It was great to join you today and uh, appreciate it. All right, well, enjoy your weekend and God bless you and everyone else over at Heritage. We really do appreciate how you are the watchdog at Heritage.org. Thank you, Dustin, very much. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. All right. Now, I got to apologize to the listeners because I will have to remix the blog talk radio side. I don't know why we lost audio on BTR, but we had it up on Facebook. Uh, So I will double check uh, the audio and get it mixed in. So if you want to come back later to see the segment that you missed with Michael Johns, he was very interesting and uh, got a lot of good information. But we will be back here next week. We're almost all booked up for next week. Uh, We've got um, Austin Roos. He will be joining us as well as Dylan Howard. Uh, Dylan has a book out, The Royals at War, The Untold Story of Harry and Meghan's Shocking Split with the House of Windsor. But I I wanted him on because of what Prince Harry said about our First Amendment. And boy, I'm sure that's going to, you know, activate a lively, lively debate. Uh, And we are booking up into April, uh, June 4th. Oh, anyway, uh, for those who are still listening, um, if you want, check out the New York Times Sunday edition editorial section. Uh, The author, the editorialist is Patrick Keeley. I was in a focus group with 14 other people with Frank Luntz uh, just a couple of days ago, and Frank Luntz did it for the New York Times. So the transcript is supposed to appear in the New York Times Sunday section, should be up on their website um, on Saturday. So if you can't get access to their webpage, see if you can get the paper at your local uh, store. Uh, I'm definitely going to be buying a couple of co- copies because, man, in a few instances, I went on a tear. You know, Annie isn't shy of speaking out and speaking up, <laughs> and she had fun. Oh, man. So check it out. Uh, New York Times Sunday edition. Annie <laughs> in the editorial page on a Frank Luntz focus group. Boy, I bet they're sorry they had me. <laughs> Until then, I'm going to leave you with Gary Pecorella and the song that he sent me that I love so much. Save America. So until next week, I say good night and God bless. I'm free for this land I've America, America. The home of the free But there are people making plans To change America They've no respect for her Or what matters most to That's why I stand for the flag And I kneel at the cross For the friends I have
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.